Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. Reactive Redefined and the group coaching program will reopen for enrollment on Monday, August 1st. If you could use more immediate support for your reactive dog, be sure to join the free mini course over on our website, agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. You can also invest in the self-guided version of Reactive Redefined and gain access to our comprehensive course content to get the ball rolling before we can support you one-on-one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have another extraordinary reactive dog guardian with me today, and she is going to share her experience inside of Reactive Redefined with her sweet, sensitive, complicated boy. So without further ado, Andrea, do you want to tell the listeners about Maverick? Sure. Uh, So Maverick is a four-year-old mutt. Um, I adopted him two years ago. He was two at the time and I got him from a rescue in New Hampshire. Um, his story is a little bit complicated. There's not a lot of information on it. And we've heard like a few different things, but what we know about him is that he basically, um, grew up in a backyard with his whole litter and probably his parents and probably a few other dogs. And, didn't really get to leave that backyard until he turned around like one and a half, which is when um, a rescue in the South kind of picked him up. I I think either the litter was surrendered or they were picked up for whatever reason. Um, And then he was transported from the South. This was in Arkansas um, all the way to New Hampshire, which is where I adopted him um, and I picked him up. So aside from that, he is uh, I did do the DNA test because he is actually, he's a very interesting uh, looking dog. He's, he's a brindle, but he kind of has longer ears. He's a little bit chunky. He has like a big square head. So um, a lot of people guess hounds. So I kind of needed to know what, what kind of dog he is. Um, turns out he's a mix of mostly Rottweiler, um, boxer, bloodhound. And then there's like a little bit of like German shepherd lab and pitbull, but uh, he is mostly Rottweiler and Boxer. So that's where like the big head comes from for sure. Oh my God. Right. But he really just looks like he's just a big, brindly, handsome boy, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. He's kind of like, if you think of like a stereotypical dog, that's him, except he's brindle. So yeah, totally, totally. just like <laughs> large breed dog with a brindle accent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I tell people that he's like basically a lab, but brindle with like slightly longer ears. That's kind of what he looks like. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So what was he like when you very freshly adopted him? Yeah. Um, when I first got him, he was just like a very what I would call normal stereotypical like adopted dog he was like super happy to be uh, around me super happy to like explore all these different things obviously immediately loved the furniture and all that kind of stuff uh, but didn't really didn't really have anything that I would consider like issues or anything like that I definitely have spoken to the rescue about like I know I'm getting an adult dog Um, I'm obviously happy to do any training but like are there any things that stand out and nothing was brought up. And honestly, I didn't see anything for like probably the first few months uh, of 
him being home with me. Right. Right. Okay. So what were the first things you started to notice? Like, okay, this is a little challenging. Yeah. Um, what I first started noticing was like, he was definitely afraid of like certain things in the urban environment. So, um, I used to walk him to daycare. It's about a like 10 minute walk and it does go through kind of like a main road. We're obviously like not on the road. We're on the sidewalk and there's plenty of space, but I noticed that he would like get scared at like loud noises, especially like I live in Boston. So there's plenty of people honking all the time. That was scary for him. Um, Motorcycles were like particularly scary. Um, And then I noticed that he would get scared of other things like the hallway I live in an apartment building, so to actually make it outside, I have to, like, exit my apartment, go through a hallway, take the elevator down, and then I'll be outside. But the hallway became kind of, like, a source of anxiety for him, where, like, he would look out, kind of, like, be unsure. And as soon as there was any weird noise outside in the hallway, he would kind of run back in. Um, Those were, like, the first few things I noticed. Right, right. And, you know, while Maverick does display some of the, like, stereotypical reactive behavior, like, sometimes he can lunge and bark at dogs and things, he really is more of the, like, stress down version of reactive versus stress up, yes? Yes, absolutely. Um, He, his reactivity towards, or, like, kind of, like, lunging and things like that is, I would call pretty uncommon, uh, whereas his other kind of reactivity, which is being afraid of things and cowering away is like daily. Right. Right. Okay. So before you join reactive redefine, I remember we had a a Q and a, and we were kind of talking about what's going on. And at that point it was daily, right? Like you were struggling to get back home Mm -hmm. every day, right? Like, was it going out was a little bit easier. It was really the coming home that was getting really hard. Yeah, exactly. So um, going out, you know, is take some convincing, but I think he likes being outside enough that it's it's doable for us. It was the coming back home um, that was problematic. Right. So he would, or he would basically just like refuse to like cross certain roads or like enter the building through certain doors and things like that. Right, right. So that was putting a lot of pressure on your time constraints because getting him back inside from a walk could take like double or triple the time, depending on the level of fear he was experiencing. Yeah, exactly. So a kind of like a a normal walk for us would be take like maybe like 10 minutes to get outside. Um, We don't take the elevator because he's afraid of it. So it's going on the stairs takes a few minutes, maybe takes like a few more minutes to put on the harness before. So it would take 10 minutes to go outside. It would be maybe like 30 to 45 minute walk, um, an hour walk when I was feeling like, you know, I, I like to do the walk. Uh, but then we would have to kind of like shorten those walks because it was taking us somewhere from like 15 to like 30 minutes to get back inside. Uh, whether it was like he was afraid of crossing the road or like he was afraid of the garage or anything like that. Um, and it's like the problem is that it's not easy to move him. So he's an 85 pound dog. Um, and so when he doesn't want to move, it's hard to move. And like, obviously I could drag him. Um, I could like force him to move into those spaces that he didn't want to be in. Uh, but that's not what I wanted to do. So we would take our time, um, sometimes up to 30 minutes to get back inside. Right. Right. Okay. So I remember the first video you gave me and we talked a lot about the body language 
right? That was helping us understand like how intense the fear was for him, right? You always kind of knew that all along, but we just kind of like fanned out some of the subtle body language things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I guess for everyone on um, that's listening, he would basically just like try to lower himself to the ground as much as possible, kind of like crouch. Um, his tail would be completely down and um, his ears would just kind of be constantly like moving around for every noise, like just incredibly alert, but obviously terrified. Yeah, right. Okay. So I remember that first conversation. I was like, listen, I can absolutely help you, but I think we're at a point right now where we need medication to aid in the training process. How did that feel to hear that? Um, honestly, that was like a, a very, um, kind of like weight off my shoulders moment a little bit. Um, one of the things that I, like, I always try to do was like, I always wanted to do Mavericks training myself. Um, I did a ton of research, you know, like had a ton of resources, obviously worked with you, uh, for recall and other things, but I always felt like, oh, it's not, I didn't know that it was bad enough to need medication. Basically. I was like, oh, I just need to do more training. Um, we just need to be more dedicated or we just need better, like, you know, high value treats or things like that. Um, but it's also, I mean, you know, I, I work full time. Um, I do other things outside of like training Mavericks. So it was definitely like putting kind of like a little bit of a constraint, like time constraint in my life, but hearing that medication is something that probably would be helpful here. And like, is the case where like you think would actually like be beneficial and would be like good for him was, was great to hear because it was much more easy for me to be like, Oh, okay. It's not, it's not me. It's not Maverick's fault either. Um, this is something that could help us both. Yeah. And I think because of the constraints of the environment that you couldn't control (laughs) or predict, right? Like you couldn't tell everyone in the parking garage, like no one come in, no one drive when we're in here so that Maverick can get out. Right. And it was happening every day. It was a daily occurrence. Okay. So you consulted with your vet, you started on medications in addition to some of the training plans we worked on. So something that we really focused on were a couple of things. So one, having a predictable pattern to get him through those sticky situations and also taking the other approach of like shaping and taking it slow when it was necessary. Right. So do you want to speak a little bit to like how we kind of unpacked the distinction, right? Like when we're going to take it slow or when we're really going to use a predictable pattern to get him through the sticky situation. Sure. Um, I guess like to give some color when we get stuck somewhere, there's kind of like two modes that I see Maverick go into. There's the, okay, I'm nervous. I'm going to kind of stay still and watch and like, just try to figure out what's going on here. Um, and then there's the other one, which is like, I'm going to run as fast as I can away from this, which is, uh, just a great situation to be in with an 85 pound dog. Um, Good times. Good times. (laughs) Yeah. Great times. Um, so that's basically how we just naturally followed that distinction. We basically knew that, um, these scenarios where he would stare and just kind of look at were situations that we knew we could get him through with just like some patience and maybe like a little bit of encouragement, whereas the other ones were just like absolute flight response. Know where we're going to make it through. Let's just try to get past it as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to commend you, right? Because you knew the differences between those before you joined, 
What I helped you do is understand the plan that we're going to stick to, that we're going to keep doing depending on the situation, right? And, you know, I think something else that we really focused on also, right, obviously me giving you the guidance and you doing the work was also just building up a little bit more fluency and just some basic skills, right? Like he had a nice foundation of training skills. He had a lot of training under his belt already. But what we did is we just put a lot of more time and energy into just the simple behavior of walking at your side on cue, getting a high rate of reinforcement. And that's working really beautifully out in the world on like the road where there's more noises and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, I will say I kind of fell into the drop of wanting to like let Maverick live his best life. So like we rarely do walk at your side, you know, like we don't really have like a, we have a a heel or walk, but we don't really use it because there's no real reason for me to use it except now I know in this case. Um, So I feel like what you really helped me do was figure out like when to use the tools that I had, um, which is, has been the hardest part of like trying to kind of do my research on my own and like figure out how to uh, train Maverick on my own. It's just like, there's so many resources. I want to be like trying all these things, but they don't necessarily apply in every situation. So that that's where I think like we've really nailed what tools to use when and how. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like, you know, I think everyone listening can totally relate to like, we want our dogs to live our be- their best lives, right? The point is getting them out so they can have a good time. But I think what we kind of started to unpack is that when he was starting to feel overwhelmed, giving him no direction was actually making it harder, mm-hmm. right? Because he was kind of getting like stuck in his own thoughts and getting like kind of stuck in like that thought spiral. And when you could ask him to do something that had such a strong reinforcement history, it actually made it easier for him to process and cope in those moments because you asked him to do something that he knew how to do and you were able to keep that reinforcement up for him. Yeah, totally. And I think what was really important for us was to like practice this in like completely like normal stress, stress resettings. Um, Like I think everyone knows like, oh, you want to be kind of like under the threshold, whatever, but we very easily go over the threshold. So I think starting with like, we're nowhere near the threshold and we're building our way up really helped us. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think that like, that gets tricky because it's like, okay, except for like, where do we train that we're under threshold though? Right. (laughs) Right. And I think that that's something that you already had in place. You already had really good spots that you were taking him to that were quieter and he got to be on the long leash. Right. Like, I think that's one of the benefits of like the recall work that you did before is that you already had that framework of like, okay, go to a low distraction place, have him on a long leash, do some of that. So that's something that like, I had you start really super duper small. Like, okay, you're at the quieter place, he's on the long leash, ask him to walk at your side for like three feet, feed him and release him. And that was it, right? Like, that's really all that we did. It wasn't this tremendous, like, do 15 laps and make sure he stays at your side. It was never like that. It was really just like those super incremental steps for him. Yeah, totally. And I think even like, uh, towards the beginning, he would just kind of like offer it himself. And I would just reinforce that and then never, never try it again. Just kind of letting him figure it out. Like, oh, it's cool to walk like next to her. She'll feed me and like, I'm cool with this. 
Right. There's a lot of benefit to this. This can yeah. work out in my favor. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I think that something that I definitely have observed over the duration of the course by seeing your videos every week is that like, you can really see him in those moments, like his little ears go back and then they go forward. Like you can see that conflict, but then you see that light bulb moment when he looks at you and he's like, yo mom, are you seeing this? And you're like, I am, I know this is hard. You're doing really, really good. But like, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Like how you're working so well as a team, right? Like he really can check in with you and know that you've got his back. Yeah. So I think, so Maverick has always been like a super independent dog. I don't know if it's just like the way he is or like, you know, he never really had a ton of like human interaction, but he's never really checked in with me um, in general, like outside of being at home when he like wants a treat, right? Like once he's outside, he's kind of like, this is this is where I am. I love it out here. Uh, but after doing kind of like some of these pattern games and just walk at my side, um, just kind of out and about and again, stress-free settings, he started kind of like offering up that behavior a lot more. Um, he'll look at me now when he's like nervous or like hear a sound just being like, are we good? Um, and so that that was definitely like a huge shift for me where I was like, why are you looking at me? What do you think I'm going to do? And Obviously, like, I was like, okay, this is good. I'm just going to give you a treat for this. But it was definitely surprising to see. Right. Oh, my God. And how sweet, though, right, to see this giant dog who, like, I'm sure people are hella intimidated by, who's actually just, like, really emotionally complex and quite sensitive, like, checking in with the mama, right? Like, yo, you got me? Like, this is feeling a little overwhelming, right? I know, I know. Having more of the tools to be like, okay, you looked at me. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do about it. Right. Yeah. Like really like talk to you and tell you like, yes, dude, good job. Like we're doing this as a team. Right. Cause I think that that happens, right. You're like, okay, you're looking at me and what are we doing? But now you're like, oh yeah, good job. You need some reassurance. Let me help you here. Yeah, totally. I, I definitely think like he, he's learned though, like he can come to me or like look at me or whatever. And I'll, you know, I'll try as many things as I need to try until he feels comfortable. Um, but it definitely goes both ways where I'm like, oh, you look at me. But also he knows to look at me. So it's definitely helped our relationship, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I can see it week by week in the videos, right? Like the more of the like him being like, and I think there's also this level two of like, of course you could just like drag the leash and you could make him go places, right? And I'm so thankful that you never did that to him because it would make it so much worse. But it's like, you know, I think that there's even some of those moments where like you're kind of ahead and maybe you're getting towards the end of the leash and he kind of stops and he kind of looks at you and you're like, I know it's okay. And then he can choose in that moment to keep going instead of reverting to some of the like crouching and the like, I can't behaviors that were happening before. Right. And I mean, you have been (laughs) the most patient, compassionate dog guardian that like I mean, if you, you two were destined for each other, you know what I mean? Like he needed you and you needed him. You know what I mean? And like, it's not easy to have a dog who stresses down to that level, right? Like, it's not like he was like dragging you down the street. It's not that he was like jumping and being crazy. It was really so much the other end of the spectrum for him. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I don't know. I think, um, it's, crazy for me to think that like we've been kind of like living this way for like two plus years at this point uh but it's always just been 
clearly like so traumatic for him that it, it's been hard for me to like be like no I'm just gonna pull you um there's situations where I'm like I'm so sorry buddy we have to like we're in the middle of the road we're about to get killed like we need to move um but I I almost think he like understands um he's definitely like all right that was not cool but like something was going on we get it um so definitely try to not not do those things as much as possible but we haven't really needed to do that in a while I think like um I think like early on you encourage me to like just talk him through it obviously like he has no freaking clue what I'm saying but definitely I think just talking to him through these things is like helpful for him I don't know if he like just like hearing me talk calms him down or maybe he's just like something's going on I'll just try my best but talking him through things has been super helpful at least for me at least I feel better about like you know getting him in these situations yeah and something that comes up in the group calls a lot right is that I'm like obviously they don't understand English but they understand intention and I think that that's like especially impactful for him because he is such a worried guy right like your intention and I think you keeping your cool and talking him through it like it absolutely makes a difference, right? Like you can see his body language loosen when you're like, it is okay. I know. And he's like, all right, you're right. It's going to be okay. We can do this. We can do this. Okay. So um, I know that the, the medication journey isn't just like super easy, right? Like we just start the meds and then everything is fine, right? Do you want to just share with the listeners just a little bit of that experience, right? Because there was the buildup point and now we're kind of like going there again. Do you want to just speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, totally. Uh, so we started Maverick um, on like 20 milligrams of Prozac a, a day, which is, I think, considered like a really light dosage for him. Um, part of this was because we were working with like a normal vet. Um, we're in line to like actually talk to what behavior is, but we decided this was like a good place to start. And it took about, so it started off with like two-ish weeks of absolute like loss of appetite and just like crawling to move out like he was just super tired didn't really want to do anything just wanted to sleep um so that was about two weeks of that which was like you know like a little bit tough but we knew that was coming we knew that was going to take a few weeks to kind of like really build up and just go back to normal around like two yeah about week two we started just seeing him coming come back to normal but really nothing no big changes nothing had really changed aside from that it wasn't until like around week like maybe four or five that we started seeing like some very very small hints that maybe something was happening um he just like started to seem a little bit more comfortable in situations where he wasn't so he started to look a little bit more comfortable around traffic certainly not comfortable uh still scared of like motorcycles and like crazy things but between the training we were doing and probably the meds, we started to see like being able to walk next to traffic without freaking out every two seconds. Um, I think then we started seeing other things like maybe like being a little bit more comfortable trying out new things, just like pushing the threshold a little bit further every time. Uh, but this, this still wasn't like huge. So like I know I said, like, we have issues daily. We still have issues daily, but they're, like, much smaller issues, I would say. Like, we're not dragging me across the road because we saw, like, a motorcycle or something like that. It's definitely, like, oh, shit, we, like, ran across, like, the sidewalk because we were afraid of the motorcycle, but much, much smaller. Um, And then 
I think around week eight is when I reached out to the vet again, basically saying like, hey, um, we're seeing very small things, but I think, I don't think we're at a point where I feel comfortable, you know, kind of continuing this medicine without trying a little bit more. That's when she basically told me like, he's actually on a super low dosage. We can try doubling it and he'll still be in like a moderate dosage for his weight. That was about maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, so since then we've upped the, uh, the dosage to 40 milligrams a day. Um, we haven't, I haven't heard of any changes so far. Uh, I'm on vacation. So Maverick's been staying with his friend, but, uh, we'll see what I get back. I think we expect it to take another basically six to eight weeks on the new dosage to start seeing dramatic changes. But, um, I'm hoping this will make a difference. I do think that the meds have helped so far. So I think like it's a, just about finding the right dosage for him now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things that when we we talked initially, I was like, there's a lot of things we can do right now. But the combination of doing those things and having the like medication support, that's really what's going to yield the most benefit, right? Like for him and for you, right? And I think that there's just, there's so much stigma around the medications. And, you know, Maverick is just such a classic case of how meds can greatly improve the quality of life, not only for the dog, but also for the guardian. And, you know, I just, I wanted to share that with everyone, right? So it's, it's not about Andrea. It's not about Maverick being bad. It's just, it is the way that it is. And if the dog is struggling every single day, medical support should be the first mode, not the last mode, right? That's totally it. And I think, I I think, you know, it's pretty normal now to say like it's okay to like have meds you know both for humans and dogs and whoever needs it but I think one of the reasons that I was concerned was like I don't really want the side effects right I I was concerned that I didn't know that the basically the side effects were going to be worth the improvement in life um and honestly after on we've been trying this for not that long but I don't think the side effects are enough that I should have been worried, Um, at least for Maverick on this specific medication. Obviously, there's talk to your vet kind of disclaimer here, but uh, it's been I I think my only regret is not trying this sooner um, just to like improve both of our lives. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's let's talk just a little bit more about um, some of the other aspects of reactive redefine that you found helpful, right? So obviously you had access to all the course content, um, the video feedback, the group calls. Do you want to just speak to some of that stuff? Yeah, totally. Uh, I think so. I would say my favorite part of all of this is the the video feedback. I think it's super valuable to be able to like catch me and Maverick like doing things and then like actually get feedback on whether it's like, you know, my like rate of reinforcement or it's like we were, I was holding the leash wrong or whatever it is. It's super helpful to kind of get that feedback as live as possible as we can do. Um, And it's always, I don't know. It's always like funny filming those videos. I always just like think it's fun while I'm doing it. Um, I don't know if everyone feels that way, but I do. Yeah. And I love it. And I think, okay, so just as a caveat here, I think sometimes people are intimidated by the video part, right? Like, how am I supposed to get all of this footage? How am I going to communicate the things? And, you know, I basically was like, listen, just narrate, talk to me as you were filming and tell me what's going on. And it's 
been so effective. Like I don't have to have like super great GoPro footage videos, right? Like you are literally doing the filming. You don't have a filmer uh, to help you. Like you are literally doing all the filming and it's still been that effective for us to communicate and for me to help and coach you that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, I was super nervous at the beginning that I was going to look like this crazy lady, just like out with my crazy dog filming him, you know, Uh, but once I started doing it and I started getting feedback, it was just so valuable that I kind of completely forgot about that. But yeah, I do. I basically walk with like the leash, the treats and the phone all once. And it's not that bad. It, you know, it gets tricky sometimes, but it's not, it hasn't been that complicated. And I know there's a few people in my group that have people that are walking around with them filming. So it's totally doable. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. And then what about the group calls? Has it been fun to learn and connect with other guardians? Yeah, it's been great. I think like what's so interesting is to see how every dog is reactive in like, you know, a completely different way. Cause I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of like, oh, my dog is reactive. Like my dog lunges at dogs. I must be following this program that this other person followed that had the same problem, which is like, your dog will probably never have the exact same problem. There's obviously like categories, which they fall into, but it's really interesting to see how everyone is like slightly different and how every guardian actually just like addresses the problem in a slightly different way or like how everyone has like all these like fun little tips. I found out like some people use like um, bicycle, is it bicycle gloves because yes. the dog can get a little nippy or like uh, people like recommending different like waist leashes or stuff like that, that I think has been great to see. And also just, it's really rewarding to see all these people like working and like with their dogs. I know it's like social media and like the dog world is like a whole uh, you know, a little bit culty situation, but it's, it's great to see other people that, you know, feel similar about how they want to like help their dogs and like how they want to train their dogs. And then at the end of the day, it's just like, we're all doing the best we can. So it, that's been great to have people there. Even if like, I don't talk to them outside of group calls or anything like that. It's just good to know they're there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that's really cool that happens in the group calls is that like, we get to expand on some concepts, Right. Like, so something that came up in a, a group call was like, you know, um, Martingale callers. Right. And like, are those mm-hmm. aversive? And, you know, I think that to your point, there's there's so much information on social media, which is amazing. Like, shout out to the positive reinforcement trainers, like showing up every day on social media. That's amazing. But to your point, it kind of disregards the individual dog and how it applies to that dog. Right. So like, I think the group call is a really great place to kind of like talk about some of those broad concepts that maybe you see on social media, but like, how does that actually apply to what you're doing with your dog? And like, is it relevant or is it irrelevant? Right. Like sometimes there's pieces of pieces of advice that really just don't stick and that's cool. But like, it's, I think it's, it's nice that I can be there to kind of be the like, but this is why for your dog. Yeah, no. And and I think if there's anything, if, if there's one thing that I think that's been the the gem of Reactive Redefine has been that, like having someone that's like, I know these tools are here, but they're not right for you, or they're right for you, or they're right in this situation has been like the the thing that's, you know, like, I think made Maverick and I successful in this case. Right. And then that way, there's no question. 
you don't have to be like, am I doing this right? Like, do I keep doing this? Like, you know exactly what you should be doing and you can keep doing it with clarity. Right. And I think that that helps, especially a dog like Maverick, when you have that clarity and you don't feel like you have to like flip flop on your plan, you know exactly which plan you need, depending on how Maverick is feeling in that moment. Exactly. Oh my God. He is so damn lucky to have you. Okay. So can you share with the listeners a little bit of like some of the progress that you've made in reactive redefine? So obviously we talked about how like walking on scary loud streets are definitely getting easier, but the, you know, getting home and leaving the, leaving the building, the time is improving, right? It's not taking as long and, you know, yes, he still has some conflicted body language, but it's not all conflicted, right? Like he's getting more confident. Yeah, he is. Uh, so I think I mentioned at the beginning, it took us about like maybe like, you know, 15 minutes to get outside between like walking through the scary hallway and then like going down the scary stairs because the scary elevator is still too much for us. Um, I think I timed it the other day in a video. It takes us about like two minutes to get down the stairs now. And honestly, we could probably do it faster, but I think we're still, I'm still letting him take his time. You know, sometimes he just like wants to stand there and stare back at me which is fine um so we've obviously like gone from 15 to 10 minutes ish to like down to five or two on like a normal day which is crazy on the way back I think is where we've seen like the most improvement um it used to take us like I said up to 30 minutes to get back I think now we can do things like on a really, really good day where like all, all the stars are aligned, um, it can probably take us like five minutes to get back inside. We've definitely done some things that are more on the management side. So like we try to avoid the garage as much as possible, which we know is like a That's terrifying scary. situation for him. Yeah. Um, so that obviously helps. But even if we have to go through the garage, we can get through the whole garage in five minutes where it used to take us actually 20 minutes to cross the garage. So that has been great. Um, and it's, aside from that, it's like his body language is changed in those situations as well. Like there's rarely a situation where he's like just not moving or like just pulling away completely. It's a lot more of like tentative walking, which again, still tentative, but it's a significant a improvement, a significant totally. improvement. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So can you share your Instagram handle? So everyone can see Maverick's adorable face for reals. Yes. Um, Maverick's Instagram is at Maverick the Brindle. Oh my God. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been such a joy to get to know you and support you. No, thank you. Thank you for all your help. Honestly, I, I, like I said, I can't believe we've been doing this for like two plus years. And like only now I'm like, oh, oh, this is a much better life to live. So thank you so much. Listen, we've all been there. You take your dog on an adventure and it is not carefree and fun like you hoped it would be. We love adventuring with our dogs, but we know there is so much more to it than going places and taking the good pictures. So if you have an adventure dog and you're struggling with some of their training, our comprehensive course content can give you all of the information you need to make huge strides in your adventure dog training. Whether your adventures include hiking, camping, stand-up paddleboarding, we have content just for you. In addition to our comprehensive course content, we host monthly group Q&As 
so that you can get answers to your training questions from experts like Steph and myself. So if you are an adventure dog and training has not been going like you hoped, check out Adventure Dog Academy that opens for enrollment on July 1st. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.